This is Kismet, the adventure of the survivors of the vengeance, a fantasy novel shared a chapter at a time. Previously, four shipwreck survivors escaped on a crude raft. Temur was hit on the head during the escape. The compassionate Fiona has never given her last name. Now, rejoin us for Kismet. Chapter 4 Fiona, Last of the Aushryans. He has slept for so long, said Fiona. She looked to Sanan and Tess, but they didn't respond. Something hit him when the wave washed over us. She reached her hand out, hesitated, then placed it on Temmer's forehead. Temmer's eyes fluttered open. Fiona quickly withdrew her hand. Temmer wiped his eyes, then rolled onto his hands and knees. The others threw out their arms to steady themselves as the raft rocked. Sitting up, he squinted at their makeshift raft. This raft is shit, he mumbled, sane and scowled. Temmer shaded his eyes with his hand and considered a passing seabird. He turned to the wind and sniffed the air. Leaning to the edge of the raft, he dipped his hand in the water. He scooted to the edge of the raft, and the others moved away from him as the raft tilted in that direction. He put his calves into the water and lay back, with one hand under his head and the other over his eyes. What are you doing? asked Sanan. Drag, said Temur. What for? asked Sanan, but Temur did not respond. Despondent silence, temporarily dispelled, returned to bed down. Fiona drew her knees to her chest. Sanan turned up his collar and swiveled away from the sun. The raft rocked in the swell. The gentle breeze died down. The sun grew red and banded, coming down to touch the sea. Distant clouds glowed pink, then orange, and the sun slipped into the ocean, leaving the four castaways gently lit by the blue bowl of the sky. The sky dimmed, first cerulean, then royal blue, and scattered stars blinked on. In that delicate space, between day and night, some of the gloom evaporated. Sanan turned to look at Fiona. How did you end up on a comfort boat? She turned away and looked across the water to the horizon. She thought back to that day, a month and a lifetime ago, when she thought her life was finally beginning. Character is born of adversity, said the priest. Steel comes from a crucible. He smiled at Fiona and awkwardly patted her hand. The carriage had left them at the Bearer's Arms public house, but the priest insisted a public house was no place for a priest and a young lady, so they sat under the awning on a bench with peeling paint. Gray rain dripped lazily from the sky. "'Consider your good fortune. What orphan has an uncle of the standing of Laird Aushryan?' continued the priest. Fiona winced at the word orphan and closed her eyes, secretly hating the priest." his endless stream of platitudes and clumsy condolences, his stink of onions, his moist hands. For the less fortunate, there are boats in the harbor taking people to Nahayabad and Jupthaven. They call them the comfort boats. The church pays passage. Fiona looked up the street, wishing her uncle would come. Years had passed since she'd seen him last. She remembered a white beard and a bright crimson cravat. He'd used a word she'd never heard before, and she had memorized it, asked about it later, precocious. Her uncle wanted her to come to the city, but her parents had insisted it was no place for a girl, so she'd stayed in the country. 
It is at times like this we must remember God's plans are inscrutable, said the priest. Fiona pushed the priest's hands out of her lap and stood. A carriage, she said, relieved. Down the street, a carriage came, its wheels slightly out of true. A thin man drove, holding the reins to a single sway-backed nag. He wore an oiled tall hat, pulled low, and the brim dripped water into his lap. He pulled the horse short and looked over at Fiona. She delighted to see the deeply creased smile and twinkling eyes of her uncle, peering out from the same acorn-colored skin. She grabbed her satchel and sprang to the carriage. Uncle, why do you drive the carriage yourself? she asked. Fiona, what a beauty you've become, he replied in a rich baritone, reaching down and grasping her hand. The priest shambled up. Laird Alshrian, it is an honor to meet you. As you can see, I have delivered your niece safely to your care. If you could perhaps think of the church at this time and all we do to help people in their time of need. He reached his hand up, smiling. Fiona's uncle grimaced, and reaching inside his coat, pulled out a threadbare pouch. He pulled out two thin coins, dropping them into the priest's outstretched hand. The priest appraised the offering and frowned, reaching his hand up again. The laird scowled at him and put the pouch back in his coat. The priest held his hand up for a moment longer, then shrugged, pocketed the coins, and walked into the bear's arms. "'Let me look at you, child,' said her uncle. She posed, tall and proud, in her mother's dress, a spotless turquoise silk that showcased her figure. The dress was long, impractical for travel, but Fiona chose it regardless. It made her feel connected to the noble woman she had never met and gave her courage. "'I can call you a child no longer,' said her uncle, the laird. "'Climb into the carriage, and I shall see to your trunk.' Fiona did not look back as she climbed into the carriage and shut the door. The carriage rattled down the streets. Fiona watched the city rolling past through the cracked windows. Ragged men lingered on corners. Young men propped up walls. Painted women with low-cut blouses stood at the entrance to alleyways, looking bored. Fiona averted her eyes. At last, the carriage rolled to a stop in front of a sagging building with frosted windows. The laird climbed down and opened the door for Fiona. "'Uncle, surely this is not the estate house Ryan,' she said, holding her uncle's hand as she stepped down. "'Of course not, my dear. Just a little business to attend to first. He opened the door. Please, step in. Books lined the walls of the musty office, and Fiona's eyes sparkled. Behind a large desk, littered with papers and the withered remains of an old lunch, a small man with bloodshot eyes looked Fiona over with interest. "'You must be the maid Ryan,' he said. Fiona curtsied. "'Pleased to meet you. Are all these books yours?' The man looked over his shoulder. "'What? Oh, yes, yes. Are they all about the law? What? Oh, uh, mostly, mostly.' Fiona's uncle offered her a chair, but she ignored him, going to read the spines of the books. "'My father said that reading ruined a lady.' She said, he allowed me only a small selection of rather dull books. Her uncle sat down, smiling. Fiona turned to him. But my uncle sent me some wonderful books. On the nature of the bottom of the sea. The castaways. The lost city of the crocodile king. A particular favorite of mine, said her uncle. Uh, lovely, lovely, said the lawyer. I'm afraid I'm rather busy, my Ryan, if you would please sit. Your servant, said Fiona, returning to sit at the desk. 
The lawyer used his arm to plow a clearing on the desk. Papers bunched up against a paperweight, and a precarious stack threatened to topple onto the floor. He stabilized the stack and pulled a wrinkled paper from it, placing it in front of Fiona. He pushed a pen and an ink pot to her. He smoothed the paper with his palm. Please sign here, he said, and indicated a space at the bottom of the document. Fiona took the pen, hesitated, and signed the document. She returned the pen to the ink pot. And you please, Laird, said the lawyer. Fiona's uncle signed as well. Yes, yes, said the lawyer. That should do it. He stood and offered his hand to Fiona's uncle. They shook. Fiona, would you please wait outside for just a moment? asked her uncle. Fiona looked longingly at the books, but stood. Yes, uncle. She curtsied to the lawyer and stepped out the front door. Outside, a man with greasy hair studied the carriage with some interest. Fiona cleared her throat. The man ogled her, then touched his cap and crossed the street. Fiona stayed close to the front door of the office. Her uncle at last emerged. He was beaming. My little Fiona, he said, let us go have a meal worthy of your arrival. Now the carriage rolled uphill into a better part of town. They came to stop in front of a stone building. Arches topped pillars of gray stone. Glossy black paint, clean and smooth, covered the wooden lattice around the window panes, which spilled an inviting yellow light. A carved sign overhung the street, showing a walrus standing on its tail. The walrus rampant, said her uncle, helping her out of the carriage, the best oysters in Baldine. He opened the door and stepped inside. The master of the house stepped forward, frowning. Laird Alshryan, we have discussed before. Fiona's uncle stepped forward quickly and whispered into his ear. The master of the house's face relaxed. Fiona was too ladylike to betray her curiosity at the exchange. Very well, said the master of the house. Welcome. We'll see to your carriage. Please follow me. He led them down a hallway lit with oil lamps. The same glossy black paint covered the inside walls. Fiona and her uncle entered a small private room. A brass oil lamp hung by a chain from the ceiling, hovering over a small round table. The master of the house pulled out the chair first for Fiona, then for her uncle. To drink, sir? he asked. A dry amontillado, I think said Fiona's uncle. The master of the house bowed and stepped out. Fiona, said her uncle, I am pleased to have you here, but sorry for the circumstance. He loosened his cravat. I am sorry I was unable to attend the funeral. Business kept me away. The whole village came out, said Fiona quietly. He was much loved. I know, said her uncle. Leaving the village was hard for you. No, I have wished to come to the city for years. Uncle, do not misunderstand me. I loved my father, but he was long sick, and I was weary of playing nursemaid. I am eager to see the library at Estate Aushryan. Her uncle shifted in his chair. I am sorry to disappoint you in this, Fiona, but there is repair work at the estate. He looked into the distance over Fiona's shoulder. You will be boarding at Widow Aushtaken's School for Ladies. Perhaps you may make use of their library. Fiona struggled to find her voice. A man entered, dressed in black, carrying a bottle and two cut crystal glasses. He uncorked the Amontillado with a pop and poured a small taste into a glass. Her uncle took a quick swig and nodded to the steward. The steward filled Fiona's glass, being careful to turn the bottle as he finished the pour. The honey-colored wine glowed in the warm light. The steward bowed and left. Uncle, began Fiona. You are no longer a child, Fiona, said her uncle, looking at his glass. 
You have responsibilities to the name of Aushryan. You are of marriable age. We must make an advantageous union. But, Uncle, I... Fiona, we will discuss this no further. Fiona's face gave away her confusion and betrayal. Her uncle slumped. I am sorry to disconcert you in this. Fiona, we are the last of the Aushryans. With your inheritance, I will rescue the estate and rebuild our proud name for both of us. He reached across the table and took her hands. Bear with me in this. Rescue? asked Fiona. Trust me, said her uncle, his smile tightening. Fiona squeezed his hands, hesitated, and smiled. I will, uncle. The carriage rattled to a stop. Fiona began to open the door, but her uncle admonished her from his seat. Fiona, you are the maid Aushryan. Please wait until you are escorted from the carriage. He climbed down and opened the door for her. The carriage stood at the stoop of a grand townhome. Polished brass gaslights framed a door freshly painted green. Her uncle offered his arm, and they mounted the stairs. A brass plate on the door proclaimed an impossibly elegant cursive, a school for ladies. Her uncle pulled the bell cord. A petite blonde with curled hair opened the door and curtsied to the laird. Fiona and her uncle walked into the small entryway. The girl ran up the stairs. The deep carpet of the room soaked up the ticking of a wall clock. A steady prattle of talk came from the room next door. Fiona peered around a doorway and saw two young women sewing. A woman with a long nose caught Fiona's gaze and raised an eyebrow. Fiona ducked back into the entryway. The plump widow Oshtaken bounded down the stairs, smiling. Her neat bun of silver hair bounced like a ball on the top of her head. Laird Oshryan, how good to see you, she said with the rolling R's of a shrublander. And you must be the maid Oshryan, Fiona. She took Fiona's hands and smiled so broadly her eyes disappeared behind her cheeks. Please join the girls in the parlor, she said, waving a fat hand to the room where the girls were sewing. I'll have a wee chat with the laird and have someone up to see your trunk. She led Fiona's uncle into the house, talking excitedly. Fiona swallowed and entered the parlor. Four chairs faced a small round table, littered with scissors, needles, and spools of thread. The young woman Fiona had seen from the entry sat in two of the straight-backed chairs. Greetings, said Fiona. The smaller of the two girls popped up, bobbed to Fiona, and replied in a high, breathy voice, Good morning to you. She looked wide-eyed at Fiona. Are you the Lady Aushryan? No, replied Fiona. The Lady Aushryan was my uncle's late wife. I will not take the title until my uncle passes, God forbid. I am only the maid Aushryan. Oh, said the small girl, disappointed. The girl with the long nose didn't speak. She kept her eyebrow raised and continued to work on her sewing. Fiona sat down and placed her hands in her lap. She shifted uncomfortably as the small girl stared at her with wide blue eyes. Are you just in from the country? the girl asked. Yes, replied Fiona. The other girl spoke for the first time in a husky voice. Enjoying your stay at the estate Aushryan? I am afraid I have only just arrived and have not yet visited the manor, replied Fiona. Save yourself the embarrassment and don't go, said the girl with the long nose. She finished a stitch and cut the thread with her teeth. Standing, she turned to the small girl. Poppy. She turned to Fiona. Maid Aushryan. She walked from the room. Don't mind her, said Poppy. She's got a sharp tongue, but she don't bully no one. Fiona smiled wanly, and Poppy turned back to her sewing. I think, Poppy continued, she's upset because her house has fallen farther than most. Whatever do you mean? asked Fiona. Poppy looked up with a gleam in her eye. Well, 
The Auschwitz metalworks were just shut down in April, and her parents had to sell their manor to a Shelfstiri. Well, I started Fiona. Can you imagine? Continued Poppy, ignoring Fiona. But I guess we all had to end up here somehow. For most families, it was the war bonds. But there are those families that were suppliers. Wait, please, said Fiona. What do you mean, end up here? Why, at Widow Oshtokin's school, of course. With title like maid, you'll do quite well. The families of the new government love to marry into a good title, you know. I love your hair, by the way. Why, just the other week, the maid Oshtulain was betrothed to... Poppy, said the Widow Oshtokin, coming into the parlor... Please, don't talk off our new guest's ear on the first day here. Run along and join the others in the kitchen. I'd like a wee chat with the maid house Ryan. Behind the window, Fiona saw her uncle pass out the front door, and she felt a jolt of panic at being left. Tell me, child, said the widow, have you any particular interests you wish to explore here at the school? Fiona brightened. Oh, my uncle says you have a library. I read everything at the manor and have been longing to read some new books. "'Oh, no, dear,' said the widow. "'You must cultivate the feminine arts. "'Our kitchen management class is just beginning. "'Or perhaps you would like to join our flower arrangement group.' "'Fiona smiled, hopefully, perhaps a little desperately. "'There are other options?' "'Of course, my child. "'These are just the options for a Tuesday morning. "'We have a complete curriculum here. "'Lace-making, dress-making, servant-management, dancing.' Your time here will do wonders for your marriageability. Delightful, said Fiona through her teeth. Come then, said the widow, taking her by the arm. Let's teach you some flower arrangement. After class and dinner, Fiona retired to her new room. With her few possessions neatly placed in the drawers of the washstand, Fiona sat on the bed in her shift, running a brush through her luxurious hair. She sat down the brush, clasped her hands, and bowed her head. God. Please forgive my errors and help me to find my way. Forgive my hard feelings for your odious priest and help me to understand my uncle. Give me courage and patience. Amen. Fiona climbed under the covers and blew out the candle. Fiona read the book, hidden in her lap, while haphazardly cramming flowers into a vase. Fiona, said Widow Auschtokin, appearing in the doorway, you have a visitor in the front parlor. Fiona closed the book and slipped it onto the chair as she stood. In the back of her mind, she vowed to make a dress with pockets. As Fiona left the room, the widow held a handkerchief to her mouth and gave Fiona a sad look. Her uncle's lawyer popped out of his seat as soon as Fiona entered. "Uh, Please, he said, gesturing to a chair. Well, how pleasant to see you, said Fiona. To what do I owe the honor? A maid out, Fiona, said the lawyer. I I felt I I should... He fumbled in the pocket of his greatcoat and pulled out a clumsily folded piece of paper. He unfolded it. Red-faced, he read, Item the first. The liquidation of your father's estate was insufficient to cover your uncle's debts. Item the second. A bailiff was charged with remanding your uncle to debtor's prison. Fiona paled. The lawyer continued, Item the third. The only remaining source of funds was the sale of the Ausryan title. Item the fourth. I secured the sale of the title this morning. Fiona's mouth slowly dropped open. Item the fifth. You are clear you are clear and free of the debt. He looked up at Fiona. That's good, he asserted. He paused and pulled at his collar. What's your mother's given name? Mouth hanging open, Fiona took a moment to register the question. Siobhan, she replied. Item the sixth. You are no longer Fiona Maidow Shryan. You are Fiona Chauvin's daughter. He hazarded another look at Fiona, frozen in her chair. 
I should have switched the order on those last two, he said under his breath. He fumbled in his pocket again. Item the seventh. He pulled out a letter and thrust it at Fiona. Slowly, as if in a dream, she took the letter from him. He stuffed the list into his pocket. Swallowing, he said, Your uncle could not... That is to say... He grabbed his hat from the chair and edged toward the door. Your uncle is deceased, he coughed. Self-murder. He placed the hat on his head. Good day, miss. He ran from the room and disappeared out the front door. There was no sound except for the soft ticking of the clock in the entryway. Fiona looked at the letter in her hands, addressed to My Little Fiona. She opened the letter with shaking hands. Inside were two words. Forgive me. This has been Chapter 4. Next time, learn why Tess was a prisoner being transported on the vengeance through an act of kindness. Until next time, 